This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's parsha is parsha Yishlach. Uh, before we start the parsha, I just want to remind everyone that January fifth through seventh, Shabbaton. Um, very very excited in a very beautiful hotel with beautiful with Kashmir's and Ruchnias food, bands, music. Um, we're having uh, Yoni Z and Melach Kohn. I'm speaking Rabbi Twitsky, Rabbi Lamb, Rabbi Charlie Harari, Rabbi Stroh Grossberg, Rabbi Benjamin Ginsburg, Gil Friedman, uh, Judy Bodner, Jackie Vuitton. A lot of different speakers, a lot of different teachers. Um, it's in the Stanford Crown Plaza. So uh, it's filling up, Baruch Hashem, and we need you to make reservations before it's too late because then you're going you're gonna to say, Rabbi Wallstein, I don't have room and I'll sleep on the floor and I'll bring a sleeping bag and that's not how we want it's not exactly how we want to run the Shabbaton so Mitzvah Hashem, please, please don't wait uh, reservation 718-647-6228 or www.oranava.com or info at oranava.com okay, good that's that announcement second announcement, we're still looking for clinical director and some staff, some uh, counselors. You don't really have to have any degree, but you have to be willing to live on the ranch, which is a really nice place to live. You have your own room, your own place, um, horses, beautiful, holistic residential treatment center. Um, very, very holistic. Uh, we have horses. We have uh, farming. We have music, we have art, we have dance. So it's a, it's a 20 acres of like rolling hills. Very beautiful place. In the winter it's beautiful. We haven't no snow yet, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of good sled riding. That's for sure. Anyway, so whoever is interested, we're looking for a clinical director. That's someone who does have a degree in social work or therapy and has worked in a residential treatment center. And we're looking for like Magichot. So you don't have to have any, um, of course, if you have experience, it's even better, but you don't have to have any experience. But you have to be willing to live up in the mountains. All right, we're in uh, White Lake in, uh, in Bethel. If you're interested, just um, call the Oranav office. Same thing, 718-647-6228. And let them know. Ask for Pam Shear. Her name is Pam Shear. And she'll get the, uh, the information to me or send an email to ornava.com www.ornava.com alright, that's all the advertising this week's parasha is parashas of Yishlach Yaakov Malach and Yaakov sent angels to his brother Esau who was coming with 400 men to kill him the night, the story of at night what happened, Yaakov went back to get his pachim tanim Rashi says pachim tanim uh, that a, a, a person who works for his money and he's honest, right? Um, so tzaddikim chasim alam They they take their money seriously. They don't gamble because they um, they don't steal. So the money they work very hard for. So he forgot these these jars and he realized that if he doesn't go back, someone's going to steal them. It brings down that one of these jars was a jar of oil, and that was the same jar of oil that was on Hanukkah. When he woke up from his dream with the ladder, there was a jar of oil there. Some of the major thing says it was from the times of creation of the world. And that jar of oil had a special thing to it that it poured and continued to pour. It never, never became empty. 
So the first thing that Yaakov did was he anointed the rock, but after that, that oil was used for anointing kings, anointing all the parts in the Mishkan, the base of Migdash, Moshe, um, and that was the pach that they found sealed in the Beis HaMikdash, and therefore it was, they asked a famous question of why do we have eight, night, eight, eight candles? Because the miracle was only seven. They had enough oil for one night. So if they had enough oil for one night and it burnt eight nights, the miracle is only seven nights. So why do we celebrate eight nights? So one of the answers, there's many answers, one of the answers was that on the first night when they poured out all the oil, the jar refilled itself. So even on the first night it was a miracle. It was this jar. And he forgot this jar on the other side of the river. So he wasn't going to leave that jar anywhere, so he went back to get the jar. What happened when he went back to get the jar? Says the title. But he busted Yaakov Yaakov was alone. And a man, which was the Malach of Esau, which was the Satan, which was the Mekatrig, fought with him. Until the morning star. So first of all, um, why is the Torah told by Yavasa Yaakov Levada who was left alone? And by Yavik doesn't mean to fight. By Yiloche means to fight. By Yavik means dust. Comes from the word Avak. Dust. So, Rashi says that while they were fighting, dust. You know, two men fighting the dust. So dust came up. And the, and the Medrash brings down that the dust re- re- reached the throne of Hashem, which is not, which is impossible. If we put dust in this room and we had a fight, no matter what we're going to kick up, maybe it'll, maybe it'll go to the ceiling. It's not going up to Hashem's Kisar covered seven different heavens. No way. So what's going on over here? The worst thing for a Jewish person, for any person, is to feel that you're alone. When you feel that you're alone, that's when the satan comes after you. Loneliness and feeling you're alone and not realizing that Hashem is always with you, that causes that causes an opening for the satan to make it dusty. What does it mean to make it dusty? So I remember when I was in Mary Shiva, 1976, I was in Mary Shiva, and there was a lot of problems on Avenue R and Ocean Parkway. The Italians used to come break the windows. They used to throw stones into the base medrash to break the windows. So the whole base medrash would pile out and run after them. The Rashiva said, this is not going to work. So he, he got ten guys, like a team of ten guys. He said, you ten? They throw rocks in the base You're the only ones that go out. Big, they were all big guys. I wasn't really a orangutan in Laren. I thought, oh, yeah, I wasn't that much in the books. So I said, you know what? I'm going out too. But the problem was I was a Muncie boy. I didn't know street, I didn't know New York street fighting. So I had no idea. So I remember the story very clearly. I wouldn't be here tonight if I didn't have a miracle. Because they threw the stones and then they ran. They spread out all over the place. And a bunch of them ran into an apartment building. And I, figuring that the other guys from here that were, the 10 guys were running with me, didn't turn around to find out that nobody was running with me. They were all, all over the place. And I ran into the building following these guys. The number one rule is you never run into a building. Because once you're in a building, run into a building after someone, he, you're coming in and he's waiting for you. 
someone's fighting, that's like the worst thing you could do. They're there, they're there first. But I didn't know anything about it, so I ran to the building, there were ten Italians standing there. And just me. Yeah, that's what I said. I said, hi guys, bye guys. And I turned around and ran for my life. Two guys were running after me, whatever it is, but I could have gotten killed in that building. It's not very smart. So, one of the things when it comes to fighting someone, street fighting, which you girls don't have to really know about, but if you're in street fighting and the guy's like twice your size, and he's pretty much going to beat you to a pulp, um, so what do you do? So it's a, you should look down on the floor. If there's dirt, you should take dirt and throw it in his face. Because you can't beat him, but if you throw it in his eyes, then all the sand is in his eyes, he can't see, and when he can't see, run! That's what you're supposed to do. Not Well, you don't have pepper spray. So, the dust that they were kicking up, this spiritual dust, not real dust, because real dust can't go to Hashem's Kisah covered. he was trying to take away the clarity from Yaakov Avinu. So, what does dust do? Dust makes things dull. Right? Murphy's oil, we have Murphy's oil, you do your furniture, or your wood to make it shine, right? Because if anything left alone, what's the goddess of dust? The goddess of dust is you don't see it. It's in this room right now, you don't see it. So if we just left a piece of furniture here for 10 days and not dust it, you put your finger, you'll see the dust. But you don't see the dust in the air. The only time you see dust in the air is if the light's coming through the window, and you see these little particles flying in the air. Well, we don't see we don't see dust in the air, so you only see dust after it has an effect. After ten days, you're like oh my gosh, my, my my silver looks dull, my table looks dull, right? Everything looks dull. You have to clean the dust. You have to right have a dustbuster. So the power of the satan, the worst power of the satan that can hurt you the most is when you don't see him. He affects your soul. But you don't see the, you don't see it happening. So, when a person is left alone, and he's not connected to Hashem, and he feels like he's alone, that's when the Satan comes in and starts giving you questions. And you start not being so sure. But you bust the Yaakov Levada, Yaakov felt alone. When he was felt alone, the Satan saw an opening by Yahweh to make Torah, Dull. And the problem is, and that's what happened to, and, and he saw, and he saw that he couldn't do that. He couldn't make Torah to Yaakov dull. Because Yaakov was an Ish Torah. But he said, I may not be able to get you, and he hit him in the groin, and he said, but I'll get your kids. I can't get you to look at Torah dull, but I'll get your kids. And in 2017, in Tafshin, Ayin, Ches, we're going to go through rote. We're going to do Torah, but it's going to have no excitement. It's just going to be, I have to do it because my parents do it. But I don't like it. It's not exciting. And I, I did a, uh, a thing with my, my seminary girls last year and my high school girls. And I told them, and I'm sure if I did it in here, now that I'm telling you it wouldn't happen, but if I didn't tell you, I told them to write five things in the world that are, that's, that are, that are beautiful. So one girl wrote sunrise and a sunset and art and flowers and one girl said birds, I don't know where that came from, but whatever um, there were different different things that are beautiful, people can be beautiful, not one person said Torah 
So when I went through the whole seminary class, who went through Beisiak, who went through school, whatever it is, I said, not one of you said Torah. Why not? So a girl got up and said, because Torah is not beautiful. It's the wrong adjective. Torah is intelligence, uh, studying, a book. I said, that's what the Satan did. When he hit Yaakov, and there was this dust coming up, he dislocated, he didn't break. If you look in the passage, what happened here is, he dislocated his thigh. His Why didn't he break his head? If he could give a karate chop like that, why didn't he just karate chop him in the neck or in the head? Because he knew that he couldn't kill the mitzvahs. He knew that girls are going to keep sneers, girls are going to keep Shabbos, guys are going to learn the dafa yaimi. He knew that all this was going to happen. But he said, if I can make it dull, I can make it not exciting, I can make Shabbos boring, that kids are like, the most boring day of my week is Shabbos. If I take the excitement and the beauty and the shine away from it, in the end, it's going to reach the Kisei cover. What does that mean? That means that in the end, they will become atheists. That God won't have a shine. That God will be dull. That God, God's infinite majesty will become dull. And that nobody saw coming. And that's what it means. It wasn't a dust. I shouldn't have to get off his keys. I covered. Okay, let's uh, dust my dust my chair. That's not what's going on over here. But that what he was saying is that if if Yiddishkeit, thank you, if Yiddishkeit becomes dull, we're done. And Yiddishkeit became dull. It's pretty dull. Oh, Hanukkah's coming. So so I make fun of it. I shouldn't make fun of it, but everybody goes to the store and you buy the ready-made. You know, Shabbos candles, uh, Hanukkah candles. Either crack off the top. Now you don't even have to do that because people are cutting their hands. You just take the plastic off and you have it. It's done. The oil is there or the hard wax is there. And what, how do they advertise it? No mess. No drip. No Hanukkah. You don't have to, your hands don't have to. So I, to this day, I buy oil and I make my own wicks. I buy cotton and I make my own wicks. So the problem is that today all the cotton balls are not real cotton balls. They're fake cotton balls. They're made out of nylon. You try to light that thing, it doesn't, it doesn't light, it melts. Seriously. It's very hard to find real cotton. So even if you buy a cotton wick and you have to, you know, put in the oil and straighten it out, my hands are always full of oil by my manaira. There's a beauty to it. You know, you have to get your hands dirty a little bit. It's not just by, mo- you know, Let's get out of here. Let's, you know, buy the latkes. People used to make my father. My father was my father. Not my mother. My father made a latkes. People used to make latkes at home. Now I go to the store and buy, okay, send me 50 pancakes, please, with applesauce and sour cream to my house and make an order here and make an order there. They used to get their hands dirty. I mean, I really shouldn't talk so much because I do a Pesach program, you know, which, uh, which uh, is pretty much set up, and I used to speak very much against it. Um, but I, what I do in my Pesach program with the only program that does that is that era Pesach I sit with the kids and, and you were there and we make all the kids make their own Mara we sit and we grind the Mara and they're all crying 
and I tell them that, that my father, we used to, our minig was that we made the marah before the Seder, and we would all sit there, and of course, you'd cry from, because when, when you smell it, you'd cry, and my father would say, all the crying of the year should be when you make the marah. There should be no other crying during the year. What was that minig? So, I got the kids making the marah, I got the kids making the charoses, I try to make it as kid-friendly as possible, but there are stores that sell salt water. <laughs> I, brought, I brought it in one year. I actually brought it in one year. For 99 cents, there's a store in Borough Park, pre-made salt water. People don't even have the time to make salt water. And I, a few years ago, I wanted to buy it to show my class, and he told me it was sold out. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> On Yantif, and, and whoever's watching this share, this is very true. On a Yantif that you need an Erev Tafshilin, which means an egg and a piece of bread and a roll, there are many stores in Borough Park that sell Erev Tafshilin, an egg with a little cha- with a little collar roll wrapped in, a, in plastic. You can't take an egg and, and, and you can't take an egg and a piece of bread and put it in a plate. It's pre-made, and they sell it. We lost the we lost the shine. We lost the we lost the beauty. I, I was just by a bar mitzvah in the morning, and and the kid put on his tefillin and it's shiny, and he puts it on so slow and so tight, and then when he rolls it up, it's like these t- like. 15 minutes to roll it up. It has to be perfectly, perfect tight. And then he looks at his hand at his marks. He has these deep marks. And he's like, he's got this, like, like this newness in his eyes. And this shine in his eyes. And by the time he reached my age, it's like, turn it on, turn it off, wrap it up. And sometimes you open it up the next day, it's already loose and not the same. And when something doesn't have beauty after a while, you lose it. This was his fight. He said, Yaakov, I, would, I know that. I know in 2018 people are going to keep Shabbos and Pesach and Hanukkah and Tefillin and Sneas and all that, but it's not going to be shiny. It's going to be dull. They're going to be like, I have to. Shabbos is coming. Oh my gosh, Hanukkah is coming. And then people are going to come over and they're going to bother me. Then Purim comes. Oh my gosh, they come into my house. They step all over my carpet. And I, I have to make shachmanis. So you do, you take the piece of shachmanis, you take out your name, you put in someone else's name, and you deliver it to them. And then at the end of the day, that one comes all the way down the neighborhood, comes back to you. <laughs> they used to bake in Europe. My mother-in-law my told me that, 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 that a, week two, a week or two before Purim, they're already baking stuff to send. They didn't buy anything. They never bought anything. So it's very, very, very important that we... We try to bring that back. We try to bring that. I spoke by the, that's why I spoke by the Gurdjieff Convention. That we have to try to bring Shabbos to make it exciting for kids. To make it exciting for kids. So my father and my mother sat on the couch and we made plays. I was looking forward. Friday, we had to do all kinds of props. Because set up for the play. And as a kid, I was very, very excited about Shabbos. And then my father had all kinds of contests and, and, and winning. And even, even when we went to Shul, I lived up the hill in Muncie. And we went down the hill to Beis Yisrael to, to, um, to Davin. It was a 25-minute walk. So for 25 minutes, you could walk and not talk or whatever. My father made a Chumash game from when I was a little kid. Me against my brother. 
that he would say the first letter of a parasha and the last letter, and whoever could say the name of the parasha first got a point. Whoever gets ten points wins. My brother won all the time. <laughs> Once in a while. It's now 50 years later. 50 years later. Half a century later. You tell me, and I've never practiced, but you tell me any first letter and last letter of a parasha, it will be less than a second. I will tell you the name of the parasha. And if you make one up that doesn't exist, I'll tell you it doesn't exist. 50 years later. You can try me. Anybody want to try me? Hazinu. Halaischa. Anyone else? You want to try one? What? Chafalev Kisavo. There is none. Vayikra. Yeah, yeah, Vayikra. Let's have brachas You only need to know one. I'll give you one. Beis Reish. There's two of them. Bahar and Bamidva. Bahar and Bamidva. Here comes a hard one. Here's a hard one. Let's see how fast you can do this one. Pesamach. There you go. See? You can, we, can, we can play this game. Very, very good. Very good. Chafalaf. Kiseitse. Kisavo. Vavalaf. Vayikra. So we knew this. Vavlamid. It's a hard one. By this time, I beat you by a mile. You're gone. You're out. Vayakel. So, so you see, you're smiling. You see, you're smiling. So he had that game of the little boy. So we went, back, we went down to Shul and up to Shul, and we had these. We had a World Series. We had a whole. We had a whole thing. He had to win four out of seven. He made it very, very exciting. So that's what you need to do. You need to take the dullness out of Shabbos and the dullness out of our mitzvahs, and you have to make it shiny. Because in the end, if they become dull, Hashem becomes dull. If Hashem becomes dull, the dust goes all the way up to the Kisa Kavod. That's why there's so many so many kids that don't believe in Hashem. It's not exciting. What? I don't hear you. Dull, dull, not shiny. D U L L. It's not. It's you have silver, then it gets brown, right? You have to shine it. When it's brown, it's dull. You can't really see your face in it. It's dull. That's what dust does, and that's what this whole fight was about. And that's why it uses the word avak, dust. It should say war. They didn't have a war. Okay. Let's go on. Anyway. So He realized, I can't make the Torah dull for you, Yaakov. But he hit him in the groin. The Pesach says that his, his hip joint became dislocated. He didn't break it. Listen carefully. He didn't break his hip. He dislocated it. What he was saying is that if Klal Yisrael is not excited about our mitzvahs. If our mitzvahs become dull, we're going to become dislocated. Not broken, but separated from the main body. A dislocation in Klal Yisrael. And we have a lot of dislocation right now in Klal Yisrael. Because it became a subject in school. It's not exciting. There's no contest. 
there's no, you know, it's just learn, valedictorian, testing, memorizing, homework. It's not exciting. So after a while, we become dislocated from Hashem. And that's what he was after. But Yomi said, Shalachani, let me go, the Malach said. Let me go, ki So it seems to be that in this fight, he wasn't punching him, Yaakov, or anything like that. He was holding him. He wasn't letting him go. But actually, when you ask kids, who won the fight between Yaakov and, 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 and the Malach of Esau? Everyone says, Yaakov, he didn't win the fight. He limped away, and Esau's Malach flew back to Shemayim. He didn't actually win the fight. But he wasn't totally destroyed in the fight. But he didn't win the fight. So the Malach said, Shalachani, let me go. So he was holding him. Ki Shacha, because I have to go to Shemayim now. The morning star is up, and I got to sing Shira. Layama, he said, Lo Eshlechacha, I'm not letting you go. He had him in a, a headlock. I'm not letting you go. Ki Imberachtani, unless you give me a bracha. Okay? Layama Elov. The Malach said to Yaakov, now he's fighting, he's fighting, Esau's Malach is fighting with Yaakov the whole night. He asks the weirdest question. He says, what's your name? The Malach says to Yaakov, what's my name? You're fighting with me a whole night, you don't know my name? You didn't know you're fighting with Yaakov? What are you asking me? So the Malach, when you ask someone their name, you're asking them what's your source. Who are you? What makes you tick? Not what's your name. He knew, he knew Yaakov's name was Yaakov. He said, Mashemecha, what's your name? And he answered him, Yaakov, my source is Yaakov. But the Malach said, that's not a good name. Because the word Yaakov comes from Akev, a heel, deceit. Because you obtain, the Malach said, the blessings you, 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 you fooled Esau. So, you weren't straight the way you got the brachas. Don't call yourself Yaakov anymore. Because after fighting with you a whole night, I see that as much as I tried to make you not see clearly, to throw dust in your eyes, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It didn't work. So from now on, I want you to call yourself Yisrael. Yisrael makes up the word yesh, right, right? Yashar Kel. Yashar means straight, clear. Yashar Kel. You see straight through, you see straight through to Hashem. I try to make you that you couldn't see, right? I try to throw dust in your eyes, but you won. And I couldn't do that. So let's change your name from Yaakov to Yisrael. All right, Yaakov said, okay, so you know my name, and you know my source. What's your name? He knew he was, he knew, Yaakov knew he was fighting with the Satan the whole night. What is he asking him his name? He said, Satan, what makes you tick? What's your power? So he said to him, it's not your business. All right, Vayomer. Why are you asking me my name? And he blessed him there. It doesn't say what the blessing is. 
Yaakov gave him a blessing to the Satan. Anyway, so Yaakov asked the Satan a question. What's your name? And the Satan answered very Jewish. He said, what's your name? He answered a question with a question. Right? He didn't answer the question. So what... What's the difference to what my name is? What do you mean? I ask you a question. Answer the question. And he definitely wasn't Jewish. Jews do that. We ask, you know, like, um, what's your name? We say, what's, so what's your name? We, ask, we answer a question with a question. But the Satan doesn't do that. So he asked him his name. Why didn't he tell him the name? He said, why are you asking me? I just want to see. If he brings down here, what was the bracha that Yaakov gave the Satan? He gave him a bracha. Let's see. Maybe he says something. Maybe he says something. What was the bracha that he gave him? I don't know if he says anything. Maybe we'll get lucky. I don't think he's going to say anything. We'll look it up for next week, but if you want to look it up, what was the bracha that he gave him? I don't think it's going to be here. No. Nope, 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 nope. Let's see if Rashi says something. I don't think so. What was the bracha? The bracha is a shamlamid. No, doesn't say what. What the bracha was. You know the answer? Huh? What the bracha was? bracha that his father gave him. Here, look, look, it doesn't say anything. Here's Rashi and Lamed. Lamed is a tishal. Ain lanu, shem kavua, mishtanim shemoy sem, because he changes his name. That's it. The bracha here, no, the bracha at the end. The bracha that he gave the satan. What's that bracha? The bracha again that Esav's Ainarosh the other day. Now what? Yaakov asked him for a bracha. What's the bracha that Yaakov asked him? So Rashi says the bracha that Yitzchak gave to Esav. The Yitzchak gave to Yaakov. Who's going to Esav's Ainarosh? Who's going to Esav's Ainarosh? Is it's Yaakov blessing the Satan or the no, Satan blessing him? That's over here. Remember the Mashiach Mechel and Yaakov and Yisrael. So what you said, right? Mm-hmm. So he gave the same bracha back again. He gave, he, right? Zion. He said, admit, admit that the brachas should come true. All right, we have a good cameraman. So my my my, my Tom of the cameraman says that. He he admitted that he should have the brachas that Yaakov stole from him, or that that Yisro gave to Yaakov. That's what, that was the bracha that he gave him there. He said, "You know what? You're supposed, you're supposed you deserve to get the bracha," and he admitted and he gave him the bracha. Okay. All right. So there's a very beautiful answer on the question of he asked the Malach, he asked the Sultan, "What's your name?" And the Sultan didn't answer. The Sultan said. Why are you asking me my name? But really, that was the answer. He asked 
the Satan, what is your name? So Rashi says that the Satan answered, why are you asking me my name? Every, every generation, I have a new name. I'm not, I'm never the same name. This generation is technology. The other generation was Avodah The other generation was murder. The other generation was stealing. So if I'm going to tell you, Yaakov, what my name is right now, next generation, it's a different name. So what, what are you asking me for? Oh, that's Rashi. I heard a very beautiful terrorist. And the terrorist says, he said, you want to know my name? You want to know my source? You want to know my power? Why ask questions? That's my name. My name is Nike. Nike. Sneakers. Nike. Just do it. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. Don't think about consequences. Don't ask what's my, why, did I, why, am, I, why am I in this world? What am I doing here? Party. Don't ask questions. Lishmi. Said the Malach, that's my name. My name is Lomazetishal. So he did answer. Why ask questions? And he's right. That is the biggest Yetzirah. The biggest Yetzirah is like, who cares? What's the difference? What's the consequence? I'm not asking why. I'm just going to do it. That's it. Okay? So that was this, this big war between the two of them. The Machlaikas, if he was healed, the next morning, the sun came out, and he was he had a dislocated thigh. That's why we don't eat the we don't eat the we don't eat the gidanosha in the, in the, I forgot what they call that filet mignon. We don't eat. They have fake filet mignon, but the real filet mignon is is this. Everybody has a very main vein. God forbid if that vein gets cut, you're pretty much dead. Running along their thigh, it's a main artery. When they do heart surgery or any of that stuff, that's the artery that they go through. It's the main artery on your thigh, and there's a danger if that gets caught. I'll tell you a crazy story about that. If that gets caught, you bleed out so fast because it's a huge artery. And that, that artery is the Githanasha. And therefore, any meat that's underneath that artery, you're not allowed to eat that meat. And since that, since he was, he got it dislocated. Now, I have never seen a reason, but I'll, I'll look into it. What's the... Why can't you eat the meat? So he hit him in the thigh. So what is... In other words, he hit him in the thigh. He dislocated his thigh. So it means I can't eat the thigh? Like, it's a, it's a kapara. Like, what, what, what's, what's the reason? But the Torah tells you, you can't... Uh, the Torah says very clearly, you can't eat any, anything near that vein. I'll tell you a crazy story, a crazy true story. Um, so I have a friend in the mountain, in the regions, he, he used to go to my bungalow colony... And his sister, his sister, needed some kind of surgery, and they needed blood. And in those days, they were very careful about AIDS, whatever it is, so the family wanted to give blood. This boy, my friend, had the same blood as his sister, O positive. O positive can give to everyone, but can only take O positive. So, he came to the hospital... And everybody, his father and mother were giving blood, whatever it was. His birthday was in a week, his 18th birthday. And he's not allowed to give blood unless you're 18. So he told his father, listen, my birthday's next week. It's a pint of blood, right? They're not going to know the difference. They're just going to write that I'm 18. They don't ask you for proof. It's not a bar. 
I'll write on him 18. I'm 18 in a week anyway. His father's a yekka, very, very straight. Father said, you're not giving blood. He said, that time, I, you know, she might need more than, and I'm more positive. He said, you're not giving blood. What, you wanted to get sick to get AIDS? You're not giving blood. Are you 18? No. Is the law 18? Yes. You're not giving blood. He said, I was so upset. A week later, a week later after his sister's operation, the next following week, he's in a car with two guys going up to the mountains. They skid. Somebody cut them off. They skid. They go off a cliff. I, even, I know exactly where he went off the cliff. On 115, right, Mom's going up the mountain. Car goes off the cliff. Rolls, rolls, rolls. One kid, one kid goes out the front of the car. He's dead right away. Um, another kid's in the back. He's in the, he's in the, he ended up in the back seat, whatever. Terrible, terrible, terrible accident. And he's bleeding out. And there happened to have been mazel and ambulance going up there, whatever. They saw the whole thing. They ran down. They said he lost three quarters of the blood in his body. And there's only a certain amount of, you can only live. You have to have a minimum amount of blood. But if you don't have that minimum amount of blood, you're gone. They, 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 they stopped the bleeding. They put a tourniquet on it, whatever, operations. Anyway, at the end of the summer, he made a suda saidah. Suda saidah, thank you, Hashem. He got up. He said, the importance of honesty. Had I given that pint, until I get back that blood would be a month. Had I given that pint, I would have had a pint less of blood, I would have been dead. True story. He said, had I given that pint, it was a week to my birthday. Every, every parent would have let, ah, just give the blood. He said, had my father let me give the pint of blood... I wouldn't have had enough blood in my body when they found me to be alive. He speaks every single year at a Surah about how honest a person has to be. It's a crazy story. They told him, if you would have lost a drop more blood, we couldn't get your heart. Would, we had nothing left. You had nothing left. He talked I think his thigh was punctured. They were very nervous. My grandson broke his femur bone. The femur bone, this year, I actually flew up to get him from a ski, the uh, Yeshiva took them skiing, and and he fell, and he broke his femur bone, which is your main bone, your thigh bone, your thickest bone in your body is your femur bone. And the only thing they were worried is that along the femur bone runs the Gidhanasha, runs this vein. And if the bone cracks and punctures the vein, you're done. So that's a very big vein on, a, on an animal or a person, whatever it is. And that's where he hit him. But he dislocated it. He didn't break it. Because that was, that was the representation of Yaakov's children, of us. That's us. We're the Gidanasha. We're that, we're that part of Yaakov. So, we need to shine up our Judaism a little bit. We need to make Shabbos exciting, Pesach exciting, Shuas and Sukkot exciting. Sukkot, oh my gosh. You know how long it took us to build a Sukkot when I was a kid? You go from the basement with these long bamboo sticks on your shoulder. You've got bamboo splinters. Oh man, it hand. We loved it. Today, pop up sucker. Bing, bing, bing. Roll it out. That's it, you're done. And now they have some suckers that even have these like uh, decorations like already hanging when you unroll it. Hello? So, of course, kids are not excited. Pop-up sucker. There's not much to do. You're done in five minutes. 
you buy, you know, you, you buy a set of a lula of estrogen, it takes two minutes. It's just not shiny. It's just not exciting. And you'd say, okay, so it's not exciting. Okay, it's not the end of the world. So mitzvahs are not exciting. Says the Medrash, it's gonna, you're not gonna believe in Hashem in a while, after a while. Cause God's not, God's whole thing in the world is his mitzvahs and his Torah. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just, you're just going through it through rote. You're learning, cause you're getting a test. If you weren't getting a test, you wouldn't be learning. This was the fight. He was left alone. He felt very alone. Alright, we're gonna end with this. I'm going to talk about Dina for a minute. Very, very important. So, there's a lot to talk about. It's late. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the whole Dina and she, and, and the switching in Leah's womb to Rachel's womb. That's not right. I want to talk about what happened to Dina. So Dina went out of her home into the streets of Shechem to see the fashions which was not the type of thing a one of the shift day cause sisters would be doing. But Rashi says her mother went out, whatever. It's a whole story. But that's not the point I want to get to. According to what he brings in this Sefer, she was seven years old. Seven, eight years old. We know Shechem was Ma'anasar. He took her and he forced himself on her. And she actually became pregnant, even though she was only seven, eight years old. And the daughter that she had was Asnas, who married Yosef, who had uh, Ephraim and Menashe, who's a whole different story. Like, why would you bench your kids every Friday night that my children should be like Ephraim and Menashe? Ephraim and Menashe came from a rape. Came from Shechem, what he did to Dina. Why would I bench my kids like that, right? And the answer is that Ephraim and Menashe were the only two that were born in captivity. And they still they still were tzaddikim. They were born in, in Mitzrayim. And they, and who comes from Ephraim comes Mashiach ben Yosef. So we're saying, what better two kids to bless your kids with? Because Abraham said Yaakov, it's very nice. They they, they, were, they didn't go to Golas. Menashe, you should be like a Menashe. Even though you're in Golas, Mashiach ben, ben, ben Yosef is going to come from you. Well, let's talk about Dino. This is a very sensitive subject. Um, I'm not going to give the shit I gave last night or I gave today. I just want to touch on one little thing. Okay? That we should understand. So Dina was in a very bad place here. He took her. Not only did he do what he did to her, but he kept her in his house. So he sort of kidnapped her. If you look at the Pasuk, right? Pasuk says he... What he did is he was ma'anes her, right? And then he didn't let her go. She remained in his house. Yeah, listen. Terrible, terrible story. Terrible trauma. Let's read it from inside for a second. Terrible story. They would never let you read a book in school like this. That's for sure. The son of Hamar, Hamar was the head of the country, president. He took her. He forced himself on her. And he fell in love with her. He loved this little girl. 
He told his father, I want to marry her. Okay? But she was still there. She was in that house. Okay, so now, in, in, in abuse, in this type of abuse, the victim gets victimized. She's ashamed, I could have stopped it, I could have closed my, whatever. She blames herself, even though she's seven, eight years old. Kids are blaming themselves, right? She did the same thing. Nothing's changed in the Torah. New day, therapist, all that, it's all here. Listen to this. It's a Medrash Rabbah. Rabbi Hadeus, many people ask, Mina says Dina Vasyago. After this happened to her, who would marry her? Who's going to marry her? The Medrash Bereshit Rabbi Issa, Sha'akhle Shahogu Shimon, Velevi, Sanchechem, that after Shimon and Levi killed the whole Shechem, they wiped out. Okay? So now they came to save their sister, and they came to Shechem's house. Because they were Hatulas Dina Chaisim Yodom. And they said, okay, okay, sister. They're all dead. Come home with us. It's over. We saved you. She said, no. His baishu dinam She was very embarrassed. She didn't want to leave Shechem's house. She said, I should go with my shame back to the family. I should be, I should be looked at as a low life. I'm never going to get married. I'm not going home. I'm staying here. Even though Shem was dead, I'm not going home. Okay, I'd rather just, just become a guy. Just live with the guy. I can't, I can't face my family. So she victimized herself, even though she, he attacked her and did this to her by force. But that's what happens. And that's why the children that go through this, they don't talk. Because they feel... If I talk about who's going to ever marry me, who's going to ever talk to me, who's going to ever look at me, this is the problem. This is not something new. This was Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, saying, I'm not going home. I'll just stay with the Goyim. What happened? Nishba like Shimon, Shimon was one of the Shvatim, swore to her, I'll marry you. You worried about who you're going to marry? I'll marry you. Then she said, okay, then I'll go home. Shimon stood up. He said, you worry about who you're going to marry? I don't care about what happened. I'm not thinking about what happened. I want to marry you. And Shitaka went home. It's a very big lesson. It's a very, very big lesson. So... I was out of the country. I'm not going to say where. It's not important. I spoke somewhere. When I finished, these two ladies came over to me and said that there's a girl upstairs who's 19 years old and weighs about 60 pounds. She hasn't eaten. She's totally anorexic, depressed. She hasn't eaten. She hasn't come out of a room. Um, Would you talk to her? I was there anyway. I wasn't leaving. It was a different country. I said, okay. They didn't tell me what happened. I said, okay. I come to this room. Her head's down on the table. I started to make a joke. That I have an accent. Whatever. It was a whole story. You'll figure out where I was anyway. So um, I tried to make a joke. Nothing. Zero. Whatever. 
American sense of humor didn't work at all in any which way. Her head's still down. I go out, I get up, I go talk to the two, two people, the therapists that were there. I said, what happened to her? She looks like she's coming out of the Holocaust. They said that she was walking home one Friday night about a year ago, and a car stopped, and they pulled her into the car. There was an older guy and a young teenager, and they both raped her, and she's done. She doesn't want to live. She doesn't want to talk. She doesn't want to eat. I said, hello? You sent me up here to talk to her? You didn't tell me that's what happened. What, what am I supposed to tell her? I said, doesn't give you a test. You can't pass. That ain't going to work. I'm like, what, am I, what do you want me to do here? They said, right, well, after you speak to... I don't know. We don't know. We tried everything. Therapy, nothing. She doesn't look at anyone. She doesn't eat. I had just given a share about Dino. I said, get me a chumash. So right away they got nervous. And they're like, no, no, we don't, know. We don't want any rabbi stuff. No, you know, Hashem will help you. It's not going to work. Rabbi Wilson, we don't, we don't want to go that way. I said, get me a chumash. So they got me a chumash. It's a true story. They got me a chumash. I opened up the chumash. I said, I have no idea your pain. I, I can't even... Uh, I'm not even going there. I can't understand it. It's not, nothing like this ever happened to me. I don't even understand, but I want to tell you something. There's a story in the parsha every single year that I was very, I didn't understand why would Hashem put it in the Torah. Why do we need to know? Shechem, he took her, he forced himself on her, he kept her in the house. It's an ochi story. And like, what does it do for any, any, any of us that learn this, like, in the parsha, like what? So like, what do I need to know this for? I have to know every time someone did something in the, I said, I said to her, I'll make up her name, Miriam. I said, Miriam, I never understood why Hashem embarrasses her every single year. But now I understand. For you. And she picks up her head for the first time in a year. For me? I said, yeah, you see, she was very worried after this happened that she'll never get married and she'll never be accepted and everybody would be talking about her. And she was willing to stay with the Goyim instead of going back to Yaakov Avinu. You know who she married? One of the Shvatim. One of the 12 tribes. One of the 12 tribes that's on the Choshen. On the Choshen that the Kohen war. One of the 12 tribes that's the source of the whole Jewish nation. She married Shimon. And she went back to Klyestrom. And then I said something that the therapist got very upset. I said, and at least you didn't get pregnant. Dina got pregnant. See? Dina had a bit worse situation than you. And they were sitting over there like, oh my God, how can you say that? Whatever. I'm like, Dina got pregnant. So she was going home with Shimon, pregnant with Shem, the guy who raped her his baby. You want, a, you want a bad, sad story? She got pregnant. She was eight years old. How is she going to go on in life? How is she going to continue her life? She's pregnant. She's got to walk around for nine months and have this animal's baby. She can't have an abortion. She's going to have this animal who did this to her as baby. I said, you didn't get pregnant, Baruch Hashem. I said, do you know what happened in the end of the story? She goes, no. I'm like, 
she gives birth to this little cute girl who, every time she looks at her, reminds her what this animal did to her. And on top of that, when the Shvatim saw this baby, they got so angry, they're like, we're going to go kill another nation. They wiped out Shem, and every time they saw this baby, it reminded them, we're going to kill out the Knani, and then the Prezi, and then the Yavusi, we're going to wipe out the world. Yaakov saw this is getting out of control. We got to get rid of the baby. This baby cannot be here. So, he took this baby, says the Medrash, and he put her in a basket. And around the baby's neck, he put an amulet. Like a, uh, an amulet, you know, these little pocket things you open. And in it he wrote, Ze Bas Yaakov. This, or, or Yisrael, Ze Bas Yisrael. This is a daughter of Yisrael. And he tied it around her neck, and he called the Malach Gavriel, and he said to Malach Gavriel, you need to take this baby to Mitzrayim, and you need to put her in the marketplace. Somebody will adopt her. So that Gavriel takes this baby, brings it to the marketplace. And who's walking in the marketplace? Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife could not have children because she was married to a guy who could not have children, says Rashi. He was, on, he was on the other side. He bought Yosef for himself. So he wasn't having any children. So she saw this little baby. She said, wow. I don't have any kids. Beautiful baby. She adopted Osnas Bas Potifera. She wasn't considered Bas Dina because Potifera brought her up. When Yosef was supposed to become king, Pilate said to him, you cannot be a king unless you're married. So the way they used to do it in the Greeks and the Romans all these times, when they would have a guy on that stature and needs to get married, they would put him in a chariot. They would take all the beautiful, most beautiful girls of the country of the city, they would stand on this road that the chariot with the man would go, they would take off their necklaces, and they would throw it at him. And these necklaces would fall to the bottom of the chariot, he would bend down, whose necklace is this? And that's who they married. That's how they used to do it. Yosef looks at the bottom of the chariot, and there's something in Hebrew? In Mitzrayim? Mitzrayim didn't know Hebrew. He picks it up, Zer Bas Yisrael. He says, how could there be a Jewish girl in Mitzrayim? Who belongs to this amulet? They bring up Asnas. Where did you get this? I don't know. I have it since I'm a little baby. He goes, I know who you are. You're Dina's baby from Shechem. I'm going to marry you. You're the only Jewish girl in Mitzrayim. The only Jewish girl in Mitzrayim and that Yosef could marry was Ofnath, was his niece. Yosef was Dina's half-brother, right? Yosef's mother was different, but half, half, right? And this was Dina's baby. Yosef's niece. You're allowed to marry your niece. An uncle's allowed to marry a niece. So there's no Isser here. She's a Jewish girl. They get married. They have two children. Who are the two children? Ephraim and Manasseh. Leah gave up one Davin that she should have a girl, not a boy, which was Dina. She gave up one shavit that she was supposed to have, and she ended up getting two. Who is Ephraim and Manasseh? They were the two that lived in Golis Mitzrayim and ended up being Tzadikim. And from Ephraim is coming Mashiach Ben Yosef. From the most terrible act where a Shechem, a lowlife, forced himself on a Jewish girl, the most terrible act came Asnas, 
married Yosef and had a fine Menashe. I said to her, listen to me. I cannot help you with your pain. You need therapy for that, whatever you have to do. But let me tell you something. The one story of what happened to you that's in the Torah ended up, not that she married some guy off the moon, but that she married the best shidduch in the world. She married Shimon. And her grandchildren are the two children that every man benches his sons for, for 5,000 years since then, whatever their numbers of years is, forever till Mashiach comes, we bench our children, Dina's grandchildren. I said, so you can have the best husband in the world, and you can have the best grandchildren in the whole world. You can have Mashiach ben Ephraim, you can have Mashiach ben Yosef, you can have Mashiach ben David. The Torah is trying to tell us that from the worst story that the Torah has, two Shvatim came to the world. The only two Shvatim that were the grandchildren of Yaakov. All the other Shvatim were the children of Yaakov. Ephraim and Manash were the grandchildren of Yaakov. I said, don't give up hope. She's not married yet, but she's normal. She put on her weight, maybe a little bit more than she wanted to. She's good. She's not living in fear. This week's Pasha, the story of Dina, saved her life. And that's why the Torah talks about such a terrible story. Because the Torah tells us from the most terrible story that of any girl in the whole Torah is coming... The first Mashiach, which is Mashiach ben Yosef. The Torah doesn't tell stories for no reason. The Torah tells stories to give us chizuk. And we all need to take this chizuk. And the real chizuk you'll understand from the story is when we see Mashiach ben Yosef, which I hope we'll see very, very soon. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.